Hi Jeremy. Hi Raphael. Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were laughing at the the previous episode. At our yeah, we, I love I love that seeing like having two uh, two Dutch friends uh, speak English together. Yeah. <laughs> like almost like two teenagers flirting with each other and barely kissing. You know, it's like almost almost. Uh, so that's sorry. There's some some noise around, but uh, I'm still working from home, and Kristen's uh, in bed right now and moving around upstairs. But yeah, it was funny just to have uh, you and uh, and Constance kind of flirting with full on Dutch, but not quite going there. Yeah, because we kept you both have expressions, and you're like, wait, is that English or Dutch? And uh, I don't know. And yeah, did you were there? Th- yeah, exactly. It probably would have been. A, Interesting to do the episode entirely in Dutch. <laughs> yeah. Do you think if you sp- speak to a Canadian that you speak with a stronger Canadian accent? This is something that I'm not really aware of, probably similar to you. I'm not self-aware of how Canadian I sound. So I know that my brother, my older brother, sounds more, much more Canadian than me, and it irritates me. Um, mm. Probably, you know, like... Is, is probably... Canadian... There's different regions, but there's a... That movie Fargo, they have that north u.s accent and that's kind of like canadian or not yeah it's kind of it's kind of like that you, you over enunciate um like we're we but yeah, it, I, we, I remember in fargo they always go yeah yeah and it, it almost sounds like no a norwegian speaking english there is a little bit of this like you talk like this you know and i'm, yeah. I'm from the northern area of canada <laughs> yeah. i'm really enunciating each and every vowel very clearly yeah. uh, <laughs> <so> that's <laughs> kind of how it works um but uh, yeah one, one so, of my favorite uh, the, the, the nick kroll had that sketch show and then he had this european character and he had just had a general european accent and he's like, we'll, uh, we'll work for one half hour or two half hours and then smoke a cigarette. <laughs> Definitely. I think probably, yeah, that's like an Indo-German uh, accent. Yeah, sort of Swedish Swish or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. You know, don't work too hard. We are in Europe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's always that, yeah, the upswing as well. Like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, but li- life ski is fun. Yeah, let's do it. Apres ski. <laughs> I, I thought we're, we're going to review a movie, but I thought we'd do a little bit of uh, life in at home uh, sort of review. But uh, yeah, what? Yeah, but, yeah. But, but one of the things that really surprised me is that I don't miss restaurants. I thought that would be the thing I would miss the most. Even uh, the exquisite Japanese restaurants. That yeah, you're such a fan of. And I, I, I get takeout, and I want to sort of tell everyone to support their favorite restaurants, especially if they're small independent places and either buy a gift certificate or get, get takeout regularly to support them. Cause, but the, the whole, the whole going to restaurants, putting your name down and then getting a table and then getting out as fast as you can. Cause they don't want you to linger. And mm-hmm. I really don't miss it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am, I mean, I, what I am miss, I do miss like hanging out with friends at a restaurant though. Hang, oh, sorry. I apologize. This is like the noisiest episode, worst episode we've ever created. My cat is like rummaging through oh. a bag right now. I apologize. Uh, That's okay. It, it, it fits the whole mood. Of, I think a lot of people have their kids at home and they're just. Uh, no, it's true. I've been yeah. in, I've been in meetings recently and suddenly there's like, like either kids screaming literally at each other, like a lot of like thumping around, like a lot of 
Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. this everywhere. Yeah, so yeah. I hear it, it from my neighbors it, for the kids, yeah. It, it's mm-hmm. the soundscape of our lives. Now. But the, the, the weird thing is New York is usually so much traffic and honking, and now uh, they have signs everywhere that say no honking because people are so nervous. So that, that would just Ooh. make things worse. So that's not there. And then the car traffic is much less, and all of a sudden... It's also spring, but you can hear the birds very clearly. And it, oh yes, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I went. Oh yes, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I went for a walk down by the water. <laughs> I went for. I went. I live by the water here in Toronto, and I went for a walk. And we have an airport, like literally five minutes from my house, which I actually love normally, because it's like ah yeah, I can be in New York in thirty minutes. But um, but walking along I, the water is like oh I can hear the water the waves lapping up against yeah the, you know, the, but I, I think the, the, we we live very similarly because we we also live in a loft and we're also close to the water and they always have these little prop planes that uh, take the rich people to uh, Long Island mm-hmm. so so it's like a five hundred dollar ticket or something and you can fly from downtown to Long Island and uh, whatever and it's not there now it's a, and sometimes I, I run by the water and I want to listen to a podcast and every three minutes it's 30 seconds of a, it, it's, it's those amphibian planes that take off from the water. Yeah. 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 I think we forget about the kind of those sounds of the, of civilization or the hurly burly yeah, 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 yeah. of people moving around machines and everything. But this, this is a brief moment in time. So immediately you start in the 70s, there was a whole move from the city to the suburbs, and people thought they were fed up with the city. Mm-hmm. And now the 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 price of apartments in the city has gotten so high that it it's almost like Kafkaesque. It's like, yeah, you can buy a closet for $2 million, Yeah. And it doesn't feel like a good value. And but So are we going to see this work-from-home experiment being very effective and that maybe a lot of people who thought it wasn't possible can work from home and then... Mm. And then that brings up a whole, uh, uh, this is also why I didn't want to do this type of podcast, because I don't want to be a future predictor. But as soon as people realize working from home is effective, then it's like, well, we could just get people from other countries who will do the job for tw- half the price. And, uh, That's already happening. I can, I, I promise you that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it was, it was going to happen, but it's accelerating. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I do think, though, that the, those themes are... Um, those themes are interesting to explore in regards to this movie. I don't know if you want to segue into the, this week's movie, Chris, yeah. but yeah. it you know is on the dawn or the cusp of uh, a, like the movie takes place in a period of great transition, like um, where things were never going to be the same again. Um, and you know, great hope was then sort of like um, I don't know at threat. Anyway, I without without further <laughs> ado, this week's movie. Without further ado, yeah. What is the yeah? Let's unveil. Um, it was your choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the movie is called Inherent Vice, but directed and written by Paul Thomas Anderson, or he wrote the screenplay uh, based on a postmodern novel. Um, yeah, by... By, um, by Pynchon. Pynchon, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's Pynchon's first name, actually? I always forget. Have you read any of his books? Because you're... You no. Read. No, I haven't. But I, now, <laughs> okay, now I have to, yeah, yeah. I think well apparently well this this movie went went run one like a best screenplay for its adaptation of the book. I think it's um, very the, loyal to the book. Yeah, and the book yeah, and he and Pynchon approved of the the screenplay, read the script. And also this the book was written um though the movie is set in the at the dawn of like late 60s early 70s. I think um, exactly in 1970. 
That's supposed to. Is be it the, exactly? That's supposed yeah, okay. to be the time. Yeah. Right on the line. Yeah. Um, but the book was was written like thirty years later, um, as like a memory of that time. So, yeah. So there's there's many different angles, but maybe we can briefly lay out the plot, but in a way that's kind of there's no plot. There's, there's no, no plot. plot. Yeah. So that, that's the whole point. So, okay, Paul Thomas Anderson has kind of a diverse body of work, like different themes, like boogie nights or there will be blood and. Um, I don't know if there's an underlying, what, what would you say is the connecting tissue between all his movies or the connecting idea? Hmm. Well, he wanted to make a different movie when he made this movie. So yeah. I think that that's, um, but one thing I think is there's a certain wry humor to his work. Yeah. Even if yeah. you watch The Master or something like that, th- it'll I be a very serious he, topic. He has, uh, he often uses underplayed emotions where in other movies it would be shouting or a fist fight and here there's no release until the very end mm-hmm. so that's one of those themes but i think the just to explain the first time i watched this movie i i think it was on netflix or something and i turned it off after 20 minutes i'm like what what is this i can't there's no story it, I, I don't know what's going on so the the whole idea is <laughs> there's a private detective and someone an ex-girlfriend comes in and says you have to look for this person but he's so high and you're like is he even absorbing the question and you're saying he it's, there's so the oh. lead character is this guy doc um, yeah and you assume he's a doctor, but he's actually a private investigator, but his office is in a doctor's office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like... and, and I think it's there so he has free access to uh, all kinds of drugs, basically. But Yeah. It, yeah it, it, right. it, but the whole premise of the movie, I think, is is and the book, is um, to not make a movie about being stoned, but make a movie from the perspective where you are stoned and you can't follow the story. Which yeah. is is very un-American in a sense. Like every American movie, uh, the story is as clear as possible. And here you're just like, it, it, there's conversations, and then in the middle of the conversation, people forget what they were talking about. I mean, this is my assumption about why you selected this movie and why it's one of your favorites is because you know on on several other episodes we've just talked about you know the expected narrative and the the plot of an American movie being pretty the hero's much- journey always the same it's, now yeah it's yeah. always it's always the hero is uh, um not confident and then they the situation changes and they have to push through and then they win what's interesting though i think in this movie is doc who is your quote-unquote hero in the film <clears throat> he's an anti-hero in that but he's also a hero at the same time there's these tensions right yeah like, but it's, it, it's it, he's not a clear john wayne where he's like oh he's gonna come in and kick ass and that's it yeah. So he, you think he's too stoned to do anything, and he's not paying attention, but somehow he's also kind of lucky, and everything falls into place. Well, at first I was like you. So I watched this the first time, and I had had a really hard week. It was like week two of like coronavirus, like lockdown, like and you just wanted the Mandalorian. And- and you were like, are you going to be too tired for this? And I was like, mm, I'm going to try. Kristen was like, I refuse to watch it. I think the aesthetic is disgusting. And I was like, okay, I'm watching this alone. <laughs> and so I, uh, I, Kristen I, I lay down. Does Kristen hate me at this point? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kristen's like, I don't know why he selected that movie. <laughs> and uh, and so then I... I thought I, she I, would I, kind of like the 60s angle and the, the love spirit. and. The... Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I, I sort of lay down on the couch and I got into it. And then I, w- I immediately was like, what is that? Like I could, I was trying to figure out and connect things, but my brain was already so tired. Yeah. So that's I, when I, you start feeling stoned, right? You're like, am I? Yeah. High? 
So I, I actually fell in and out of sleep on the first, <laughs> on the first viewing. That's like, the perfect way was, to see this film. I was like drifting in and out and I would come back out and be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow at the end of it, I still kind of had a rough idea. So, but that said, because um, I was ready to record the podcast, then we, then you're like, oh, I'm going to record the podcast with uh, Constant this weekend. Let's do it next weekend. So here I am. I rewatched it. Um, Actually, this morning before we we spoke, I wanted to have the greatest clarity of mind, <laughs> and I had also like in between watched a bunch of analysis on the film. And the thing that really helped on like the second viewing is so much better yeah. than the first yeah. viewing. And the thing that changed was I realized that I was Doc, <laughs> yeah. and like the movie was coming at me, like life was coming at him. And I just, and it didn't, if I was confused and Doc was confused, we were both confused and that was okay. Like I didn't have to figure it out for Doc. And I think normally you're trying to figure it out, even for the hero, you're thinking two steps ahead in a movie. But in this movie, that is torture. You shouldn't do that to yourself. You, Having watched it one time, I was able though to relax because I knew what the future <laughs> yeah. held a little bit. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'm relaxed. Like, I know none of this makes sense. And I actually know what's going to happen next. And there's going to be this like, it's like falling down a staircase is the way it feels. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so you just have to release yourself. Um, so the first viewing is torture, but the second viewing is like, actually kind of like riding um, a high or something but, like that. But, but you, you agree that... Uh, I've been thinking a lot about how we all know that health food is better for us in the long term, even if when you're tired, maybe you just want some <laughs> fried chicken, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. The, I think the, the last 15 years, we, most people have come to terms with that. Not everybody does it, but I think everybody agrees. Like, I think maybe 30 years ago, it was debatable. They're like, ah, oh, you can smoke. It's, a, it's fine. And I think at yeah. this point... We really understand the value of, of healthy food. And I think now with Corona, it's like crystal clear. Like mm-hmm. health is, is much more important than having a retirement fund. Let, let, you know, like health is really. And so it, my question is, you could argue, what does it matter? You're tired, you watch The Mandalorian or you watch something more challenging. Mm-hmm. And and my my general feeling, I was watching a Fellini film yesterday, and I was like, oh, back then there was a budget for really uh, eccentric uh, movies that don't have a clear plot, and etc. And and to me, it's like a, a tiered thing. Like, if, if artists are not even watching challenging movies anymore, then the next mm-hmm. tier of people who are not so media-saturated and who don't... And, and the next tier, and, and then you end up everybody watching Honey Boo Boo, <laughs> and what does that do to to a culture? So, and and I'm not sure. I don't have a proof. I don't have any evidence that watching Fellini makes you a better person than watching Honey Boo Boo. Mm-hmm. Um, but it in the, and, and I don't want to get too political. But it if 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 um, let's say that if if you live in a time where you have to have two jobs and you have to do jobs that are very too much is demanded of you, uh, education is too expensive, healthcare is too expensive, etc. And then you get to a point where you can't have challenging movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that It's all connected, that's what I'm saying. No, I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, what you know, one of the reasons I think, you know, entertainment became popular, and this, and this ties back to the film as well, was as a distraction from the stress of work, right? So the movies, you know, were something traditionally in America where you went on the weekend, yeah, and you mm-hmm. went 
you went, you know, to fantasize to escape your present reality. Did you, did you ever read that book, Journey to the End of the Night? I think it's Celine, the French famous novel. Oh, yeah. And no. it, it starts with him in the trenches in World War One, and he says, only cowards survive, and he hides under a corpse. And he survives it because he's just an absolute anti-hero. And then he lives in the U.S. for a while, and life is so tough. And he's like, oh, all you can do is go to the movies to relax. So it was already then, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It, it, it's always been that way, yeah. And then the stress got higher and higher. And so we looked for that at the end of each day at 8 p.m., you know? So that became primetime television. And, the sit, you know, the sitcom is the laugh track. And it, you know, that that's like, ah, yes, I can, like... Me and everyone else can just release at once at 8 Critical thinking, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, well, if you're thinking critically all day, the last thing you want to do at night is think yeah. critically. So, you know, I think that, that it, it, it's like, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not fair to judge an audience, I think, or, or a society that... No, I'm not judging. I'm, I'm saying that they're being squeezed. No, exactly. And so, but this film actually is a little bit about that. That's why I think it's interesting to discuss, because... You know, it takes place. So the 1960s in America, it's worth establishing for our audience, um, were a time of like, let's throw away all of the rules, right? All of the man's rules. And literally, I mean, in art, there was also a, like a broad rejection of capitalism during that time. You know, for me anyway, I'm, I consider myself like a study of Fluxus work at the time. And, you know, the Fluxus artist wrote a manifesto that was like, you know, used the term bourgeoisie as like the enemy, um, you know, and they're really speaking these Marxist terms like communism was, you know, or communal or co community was, um, was important in favor of the individual pursuit of happiness. It's kind of like written into the American constitution, right? Like it was about Let's come together, free love, like fr the idea of free love, right? Like that you would not pay for love. That's even emblematic in this film where there's like a $14.99 pussy special, whatever, <laughs> you know, but then it's like actually free for cops. Anyway, there's all this like, so that time, that 1960s time was like this, this uh, is really funny because it's Cold War, right? But yeah. it was actually more about, and they, they play with this in the film, like, you know, there's there's the but there's all these extreme of, subcultures that are intertwined. So there's a yeah. there's a, a group of the Aryan Brotherhood bikers that are intertwined with a, a movement of the CIA to get white people to own casinos in Vegas because it's too much mafia. But those are all the threats and, of, and, and, of the of normative culture, right? Yeah, like, and there's the there's the the sort of straight cop that is the anti version of of Doc, played mm -hmm. by Just Brolin. But he turns out to be very corrupt as well, and he has all these issues, and he's constantly Bigfoot. Yeah, his name's Bigfoot. Yeah, but he was a and he was a hippie. Multiple and the only reason he, <laughs> yeah. he yeah, yeah you, <laughs> that's an inside joke. You have to watch the film. Yeah. But I think you he was a hippie. The only indication you have of that is in the really in the first five minutes of the movie. There's he's in a commercial playing the role oh, yeah. of a hippie or something. But he well, he's he, became, he, he wants to be a celebrity also. Yeah. Anyway, he's a complicated character. To well, get we into, should get but... this review as fuzzy as possible, just like the movie. <laughs> it's so confusing. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. Like, I don't know how anyone listens to our reviews because they're all over the place. But there's, it would be hard to structure a review. But I do think one of the, the if we start at the top, like the macro piece of this is the 1960s, you know, um, were ending. And the 1970s under Richard Nixon were all about like kind of a lost, um, Loss of innocence, loss of hope, you know, the Vietnam War. Loss of order. And loss of order, like capital taking back control from the free love hippies. And the dirty hippie is like emblematic or that term of scapegoating the hippie 
and Charles Manson, you know, became the kind of scapegoat for all of that culture being like a bunch of hooey and nonsense. And what we need really do is like appeal to common sense and get back to order. It's like when a politician comes in a conservative politician after, you know, Bernie, after Bernie Sanders has said something and, you know, even Hillary Clinton does this. That's just a bunch of hooey. That person doesn't know what they're talking about. What That's we need is real work. common, common sense solutions for common sense people. And that means murdering tons of people in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And so we're just going to kill those people. That's what we're going to... Anyway, so that's kind of the tension, I think, at a macro level of the film. 1960s becoming 1970s. Yeah, but I think the tension in this movie is that you think that the straight side is is being uh, practical and they turn out to be more wacky. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Like the the so that so then yeah, exactly. The hero Doc is like the dirty hippie, and then he's surrounded by the FBI and police and you know the white nationalists and um and they are actually all way crazier than he is. Like, and he's yeah. just seeing this stuff come at him almost like you know a bonanza of banal <laughs> kind of things. Where and and, and, and and yeah, one of the weird things is uh, a private investigator is supposed to find things that the authorities can't find and then uh, he's supposed to tie all the loose ends together and find clarity <laughs> and so it, LA and California is so sprawling but still you run into people and the, the that saying of the, the world is small or the, everything's connected so it, it's really weird when you've lived in California you know how isolated everyone is and how far away people are from each other but in this mm-hmm. movie he just he goes to a party and then he sees the people he's looking for. He, the exact yeah. people he needs to see are there. And then he speaks to someone and there's this boat that is a, a, a shipping connection with Asia uh, trafficking heroin. And then he just runs into the right people there. And then he runs into... And the, if you see the movie the second time, you see how uh, unprobable it is that all those connections are made. I think the first time it feels everything's fuzzy, but then you're like, oh, this, there's really a tight plot, actually. Yeah, and maybe we should explain, like, you know, so he starts out with this, what could be reality or could be just a dream of his ex-girlfriend saying, hey, you got to go find this person. And then before you know it, he's actually looking for his ex-girlfriend because she's gone missing. And you're never really even certain if she exists. And and then, you know, before then you find out that she's connected to someone else who's connected to this and everyone's going missing. There's all these little, like, kind of and mysteries baked into the mystery. I want to talk about the... Sort of emotional expression of all the actors. And uh, Joaquin Phoenix has the most screen time, or the, the, a lot of close-ups. And everyone is bullying him, basically. Uh, yeah. he, he walks up to the police office, and because he's a dirty hippie, all the cops just it, it just casually push him to the floor and kick him. Just well, they, like, yeah, no they, big deal. They, li- they literally knock him over. Yeah. yeah. Just like, yeah. And, then, and then Bigfoot keeps insulting him, and he, he turns out to be more <laughs> criminal than him. There's a scene where he's just chilling at home at the end, and Bigfoot just rams into the door and takes all his weed and eats it and leaves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's just eating. And, <laughs> so, but he, he never lashes out, so everyone's lashing out at him, and he's always just kind of, trying to understand but not understanding he's like uh okay that's why i think that's why i think he's best viewed as like the audience yeah right? like he but then he, at the end he's captured and he's hanging uh, with handcuffs and that's when he starts lashing out and he he gets violent mm-hmm. and wins right uh, and he becomes the hero but the the um, i think that's very unique to this film the, the acting where everybody's kind of calm or at least doc and a little anecdote doc is called doc because 
this was the first movie Paul Thomas Anderson made with Warner Brothers, and uh, it's a Bucks Bunny reference. So everybody says, "What's up, Doc?" in the movie. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was so. In the book, it's his name's not Doc; it's something else. Yeah, it's a Warner hmm. Brothers reference. Okay, yeah. So the, it does seem like throughout while you're when you're watching the movie, there's like because the second on second viewing and probably on third viewing, there's even more. You're you're picking up all these little hints in the scene, especially in the dialogue. So the dialogue, there'll be jokes. And you don't get them the first time because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're like trying to figure out the plot. <laughs> yeah. And then you watch once it the you second time. Yeah. yeah, once you like, and the jokes are hilarious the second time. Yeah. And you're like, oh, because it was just like two or three words. It's like an episode of Gilmore Girls. Like, go with me for a second yeah. here. But like, where the dialogue is really fast and it's referencing other episodes. Or I'm sure like Gilmore Girls is just one side reference. But like, you know, those shows where there's just like yeah. a really fast pace of dialogue. And you have to be in the know to really know what's going on. And That's what it feels like. And I think California was also a, a place of, it was a, a very, uh, a hotbed for the counterculture, but also a hotbed for the sort of speculation of the American dream and creating new subdivisions in the desert that are really kind of horrible places to live, but they just sell the American <laughs> Ch- dream. Channel View Estates, which is the <laughs> the one the one that anchors the film, is a yeah. development that's like got a beautiful view of like a viaduct, yeah. <laughs> an artificial river. Yeah, I, yeah. I heard this joke of, of selling a an, an apartment with a view of a highway, and you call it the poor man's ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. but the, the the thing that struck me is that I I have also fallen for this American dream multiple times I used to I visited California the first time when I was 15 and I was like this place is amazing there's always good weather and there's the ocean and and then I lived there for a year and you realize it's so much better in documentation Mm -hmm. it's like a a, a very attractive person on social media and you meet them in real life and you're like oh never mind and California it looks so beautiful in this movie too like he's living right by the beach and you think wow that's great And and they have the hippie life Mm-hmm. And then you live there, and the water in the ocean is really cold. You can't swim. You're always stuck in traffic. It, 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 I don't well, know. Apparently, uh, apparently, Paul Thomas Anderson, when he when he took on the film, he was like really excited that they're going to spend all this time by the beach. But they only did one day of shooting near <laughs> the beach, and he said it was actually a really difficult shoot. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it didn't end up being as happy and relaxed but as the, he thought it would be. Yeah, I think that's an ongoing theme for me of what looks good and what is actually fun in real life. So it, it, often in movies, the a white house on the hill with a, with a big yard and kids and an old truck, that's always the beacon of safety and happiness. And then the alien mm-hmm. invasion starts. And then that sort of Blade Runner future is the nightmare of like raining and noodles and a small apartment. And then that turns out to, at least for me, to be more fun in real life than the, the house on the hill. Hmm. Yeah, but well, I mean, but so the, it, it, this American dream theme, which is also in that movie, is a risky point mm-hmm. of this real estate development, and then it turns out that that sort of artificial town that you create in the middle of nowhere it has no soul. Well, do you think like because obviously this film is based on his longing for um, for Shasta, right? Like Doc longs for this past relationship, and the past relationship they continuously refer to the fact that it was always in decline, you know, it was in decline. They never talk about when it was at its peak, except these, even this one peak moment where they were playing with the Ouija board, 
with our, you know, the narrator who's well, Joanna they, they Newsom, were drug Newsom by the way. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, exactly. But they're saying like, even at, even though it was in decline, they still remember this fond moment. <laughs> yeah. So like they're in this kind of always in this state of decline, but Shasta is like kind of this, there's, is a character, but also a metaphor, right? I think of a mm-hmm. romance for a time that maybe never existed. Right. Which I think yeah. also from also the writer's maybe, perspective, also the, the 1960s the theme- are, yeah. The theme of nostalgia that we always remember things better than they actually happened. And so even if it if it was terrible, we think back of it. Like you said, <clears> once <throat> you've seen the movie and you watch it again, you know things are going to go wrong, but you know when. And that's very comforting. And so memories mm-hmm. are comforting even if they are, uh, if things went wrong, at least you know, okay, well, that happened. And you have well, the certainty. <clears throat> I think, and to your point, like, so that that's true in reverse, but it's also true uh, forward. And I wish I had like some media theory I could quote here, but your projections on the future are often nostalgic as well, right? Mm. So because you're you're seeking either what you don't have or what you once had to happen again, right? Yeah, and, and I, I think we, I think right now is this weird moment where we had all these fears of everything. We were like, oh, uh, the, the oceans are rising or we're going to have a financial collapse or whatever. And then it came from such a different angle that nobody expected. No, that's a great point. I mean, here's the thing that I feel really guilty about right now is I feel extremely nostalgic for the year like 2010, between 2008 and 2012, I'd say. Um, And that's because like every like literally like every day I'm getting an email with an opportunity to do something, some kind of Internet project, Mm. some kind of curatorial thing or write this or try that. And it's like suddenly everyone's talking about internet art, and I'm like, oh my god! It's like they, it's like they rediscovered that we yeah. exist. This is incredible. I don't know if other people feel this way, or if maybe I, yeah. Like, I've had, I'm working on a, a bunch of online projects and, and collaborative projects and shows, and it it, I, it seems very relevant now. Yeah. Yeah, like I felt like I was actually legitimately stressed about this weekend because there's like five things I have to get done, but I haven't <laughs> felt that way in a while and you know i and so i'm a little bit i feel guilty about it like i said because it, i have this nostalgia for the past and i know that this is not that this is something new and different um but there's like th- the way people are talking about that time i think is is like they're trying to project the present as the past and um i don't know it reminded me in, in the, as i was watching this film that there's like these little kind of loops built into the film that feel the same way where you're, everything's connected and or you're trying to make these connections but yeah. maybe they're not really there but it's like it's almost like a weakness of the human condition to try and connect these things well um, I think another uh, theme is that the, the hippies are supposed to be non-materialistic and more in the moment and mm-hmm. the, the straight people are trying to organize everything and create safety and uh, I always think in the Netherlands there's this general consensus that uh, your college years your university years are the best years of your life because mm-hmm. you're really just focusing on what you're interested in. And then you'll see, when you're a student, it's okay to be poor. So it, you'll, you'll see on a, on a hot summer day, it, it's just a bunch of people who live together in a house and they sit in front of the house, drinking beer, sitting on really old broken chairs. And they're having the best time of their life because they're not worried about money. <laughs> they're, they're, like, there's no status. They don't need a car. They don't need yeah. nice clothing, but they're spending time together. And, and the, the next time you're, yeah. And then, the, and then the next five decades, you're just stressed about <laughs> making money. And they're like, why, why is that built in? And somehow it's okay to be poor with the promise that in the next five decades you won't be. 
It's so that when you're sick, you know, 55, you can sit in the deck chair and feel the same way. But like, you know, it's, like, it's yeah. really like it's a commercial break that lasts your entire life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I think that's one of the nice things about what we're experiencing now is that we're in this kind of reset moment where everyone's like, what, what is important? What yeah. is life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that, that's that's great. I think it, and because I mean, I've never spent um, more time talking with family and friends than I have over this period. Even though I said I'm super busy, I still feel like I'm, it's bit like I'm like, I feel gratitude for being busy in a way. I said I was guilty. Oh, yeah. But also, no, no. Like, but that's uh, you're very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's very random, the, the people whose work stopped and whose work is accelerated. It's it's just a complete wheel of fortune. Uh, you know, like you, you just yeah. happen to be in the digital space. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just never know what's going to happen. Maybe you're going to be Amazon. Maybe you're going to be, you know, Radio Shack. I don't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you're in the restaurant business and you're just into cooking, yeah. it's just it yeah. doesn't mean that you're not a hardworking person and that you don't have initiative. It's just like, the odds are against you. I think what will be really fascinating is obviously this will this will pass, but everyone says there's never going to be a return to normal, just be a new normal, right? So yeah, um, I wonder how. I don't know. It's really interesting to be in these. Well, hi- hypothetically, where... if if there was a vaccine, like whether it's in nine months or in eighteen months, mm-hmm. can life go back to normal, or is it the next twenty years we're really focused on hygiene and uh, staying away from each other? I think, yeah, you're going to be much more self-aware. I think it'll be more like Japanese culture, right? They've um, always been in the future. Because at first they were dealing with overpopulation, and now they're dealing with aging population. And they've had a post-growth economy already for 15 years. And mm-hmm. uh, they, they, it's always the future there. And, you know, and they're extremely clean. Like, yeah. And, yeah. like people will wear a mask even if they have a little cough so that they don't infect other people. As a form of politeness, yeah. As a form of politeness, yeah. It's built into the etiquette. And so, like, how does that happen, right? Well, this is kind of how it happens uh, on a global scale. Well, they've dealt with uh, SARS and MERS earlier, yeah. But I imagine if you're in the 1960s and you're thinking, like, okay, how do we keep this this thing going? Like, I want to stay, I want to keep getting high, I'm really enjoying life, I want to talk with my friends. Yeah, free love seems like an alien concept right now. Exactly. And then it's like, well... How do I keep that going? And then you, and then suddenly the, all of the forces are like, no, no, you're not going to keep this going. We, we, you know, we're going to take, we're taking this back. Like, yeah. and you know, the same thing kind of happened in, you know, has happened in the United States I, on, in I, several waves. I heard in an interview with Jay Leno in his stand-up days, he was doing stand-up in Vegas and clubs in LA, and they were all run by the mob. And uh, if they liked you, they, you know, you you'd be treated very well. Like uh, Things are not so formal. It's not like fill out your 1099, we'll get back to you. It's just like mm-hmm. they, they throw cash at you and they throw drinks at you and then all of a sudden they give you suits and you're a funny guy here. Everything's very unofficial. If it sucks, it's terrible. And if it's great, it's great. And he said, then the, the corporate structure took over entertainment and he said they were much meaner than the mafia. They were mm-hmm. so vicious in cutting costs and uh, the way they treat employees and efficiency. And that's maybe when you're talking about it, it's, it's, uh, it's like the spreadsheets take over, the AI takes over and, and the bottom line is all that matters. Yeah. And I think also like, you know, if you think of any generation, like right now, the millennial generation is moving into their thirties, right? They're having children. And so, you know, you always hear obviously that like, as soon as a person has kids, their priorities shift, right, to that child and the survival of that child. And that's like, I've no, like, I don't, I don't knock that because my parents were the same thing. My parents were hippies who became yuppies. 
And, you know, like they had free love and we have free shipping is always like the joke I make. <laughs> it's like, but they made that transition. They went from the trans, like from being, uh, you know, all about that and telling me stories about going to biker. Like while I was watching this movie, I was like, oh, my parents told me that story. Like they went to a biker party and there's like a pile, you know, of drugs on every coffee table. That's like, you yeah. Know, and the, and the, all these very extreme lifestyles running into each other. Yeah, and, and exactly, and like it's not like there was coherence, but there was the, like um, there was a feeling no, and, of coherence. And that's right? maybe the difference with the woke culture right now. That the, the woke culture is is very purist and doesn't allow any deviation. Hmm. You're canceled. You're canceled. So maybe you're making a yeah. So that, a distinction between that time and this time. So yeah. in that time, uh, networks were loose and disconnected globally. Like it, it would be a localized effect. Though free love was a global movement. It was probably localized to California to to start right, and then it spread from there. And I don't know, you know, I don't know. That's my my assumption. And then, uh, or maybe there was like pockets of like New York, you know, London, uh, the LA version of that. Um, it's almost like yeah, but but so you in, in, like in this movie, you go to they go to a Indian inspired meditation retreat. Yes. And, and there's a bunch of Aryan Brotherhood people hanging out with swastikas on their face, and they're meditating with the rest, and they're wearing the beads. For some reason, it was probably connected through drugs. But you can't imagine a gathering right now that is sort of leftist woke, and there's also a bunch of Nazis hanging out. Well, I was just thinking, like the you know the kind of the the auxiliary to that or the parallel would be like in the last ten years, <clears throat> the internet promised this utopia of free speech and free expression. And then, you know, we get into our social, you know, web 2.0, social networks, we're connecting. And then suddenly, like, neo-Nazis show up. And then, like, (laughs) you know, like, Cambridge Analytica and all of these capitalist forces, like, show up in our free love scene and start to, like, lock it down and control it. And then, um, you know, as artists, anyway, like, as an artist, I remember, like, YouTube and Facebook, when they first arrived, actually were revolutionary forces, like... I was so excited. It was really what? hard to publish a video before YouTube. I, I just the, told the, the story. The, the yeah. bandwidth to- costs were really substantial. If you if you had a video that went viral before YouTube, you'd go broke. No, no. I told this story to a journalist literally last week um, mm. because I had a video that went viral and it had, but it actually I couldn't afford it. So the no. uni- my university <laughs> you would have ended to up buy posting bandwidth. it. Yeah, yeah. And then so, I, but a year after that, YouTube was announced, and I was like. Holy shit! This changes everything, yeah. <laughs> you know. And it did. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, and it did, and that's why I signed up for YouTube, right? And then, um, and then Facebook came out the year after that, and I was like, "Oh my god, I can connect with other artists all over the world." <laughs> and I know there were surf clubs prior to that where people were doing it ad hoc. There was also that was a little, like, little thing called email before, but but I couldn't find people. At, people couldn't find me at random through email. Mm. They would have to find my website through some Alta Vista search. Anyway, so then at first, Facebook felt like this way for me anyway. Like I was going to school in Syracuse, New York, a tiny town in upstate New York. And suddenly I was able to connect with like artists in New York, artists in Berlin, artists in London. And that's how I sort of started my career. And that happened on Facebook. And then like, I don't know. And then Facebook became this evil empire over time and I stopped using it. What's been interesting over the last few weeks is like I started using it again. I don't don't even know why, but it seemingly like because things were happening there again. But I felt like, you know, it kind of felt like an old strip mall, um, (laughs) like, you know, that was being repopulated or something. So 
maybe back to the movie. Can, oh yeah, sorry. But this is, a, these are the themes of the movie yeah. as well. So. Can we can we talk about the the visual qualities of the film because they they shot everything on film and even used expired film to give it the feeling of the time. Yeah, so the the movie looks like it it was shot like 20 30 years ago, right? At the very earliest, right? But it, but was it made to look like it was the 70s, I guess. Um, yeah. It it's it's funny that the, there's a a thing with technology that you think were the colors at the time that way or because if I see pictures of my childhood and then the pictures are kind of yellowish the film was not so good and it expired or something you're like did the leaves yeah. really have a different color or were white walls yellow back then <laughs> <laughs> it, it it changes your memory yeah sometimes what ends up happening is all like even what as we've been doing this podcast i'll look back on a movie that i remember from my childhood or something like that or my 20s and then i'll look at the trailer and be like what why does it look so like fuzzy or like what is that color quality like what's going on here like it's not as sharp as um, yeah. contemporary digital cinema. And I forgot that that's probably, all, I had accepted that as the sort of the limits of yeah. the media. Yeah, I saw um, I saw Werner Herzog, the Fitzgeraldo screening on the, an original print. And so the, all the new prints that you see have been restored and made sharper than they were then. And mm. I saw the original print and it was horrible. You couldn't see any details. <laughs> and the contrast was way too high. And the, so, yeah, that's what people so I, had. What's really funny is, um, so I watched this film the first time I watched it on my TV, but this morning I, w- I was having trouble connecting my Bluetooth headphones to my computer to watch it. And so I, I wanted to, didn't want Kristen to wake up. So I actually watched the movie in VR, which mm. is like, <laughs> I should not, I don't know, like it's the worst possible way to watch a 1970s movie, but I thought, well, it works. You know, it's like having a big screen TV in front of me. And um, it actually exhausting? looked bit. No, not for me anymore. Like I'm, okay. I'm, I'm getting more and more used to it. You have to talk to longtime VR people. They get like, even the sickness, motion sickness okay. uh, over time. You get used to it. Do they make a little sort of 3D space, and you have other viewers in front of you, like in a movie theater? Yeah. So I was sitting in my virtual living room, which is like this this kind of crappy loft. I okay. really don't like it. I have to redesign it. But anyway, <laughs> it's got like, there's too much sunlight. And anyway, I was trying. To, I wanted to set it up nicer, but I was like, I don't have time for this. Um, but in VR, the I don't the the movie was was like right in my eye, <laughs> so I was like sitting inside of the movie, and I it didn't have it wasn't as soft as when I viewed it the first time, just from a distance, kind of on my TV. Did you see it in the theater? Was one of the questions that I had though. Yeah, I've seen it. I saw it once streaming, and I gave up. Then I saw it at Metrograph on film. They were playing okay. all of Paul Thomas, and, and then before this episode, I watched it on TV. Because I feel like this would probably be best on the original film print because um, you would get a certain yeah, um, uh, texture to the film that would be visible. There's, there's also jokes are much funnier when you're with other people. So it, I, I remember seeing uh, Lost Highway in the theater, in a packed theater. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very comedic. And when you're at home, you just think it's a creepy movie. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, like... The, it's one it's of the maybe things... the same thing with stand-up, that if you watch stand-up at home, it has to be incredibly funny for you to think it's funny and if you go see a live night with uh, five young uh, comedians that if you would see their special you wouldn't think it was much but when you see them live it's really funny well i often ask myself who is a laugh for is it for yourself or is it for your friends um you know and like it because you know when you talk when you think about thinking um 
like if, why don't we think out loud why aren't we just like always thinking out loud i know you and i are thinking out loud on this podcast but like when i'm at home alone why am every I thinking? sentence is considered well because apparently <laughs> neurologically anyway when you think you actually exercise your vocal cords so you know there oh. but they just you don't release wind through them so you're actually you're actually like your muscles are actually it's still so responding. connected yeah but um yeah anyway we're a little off track with it well, aesthetically though I think aesthetically, it was an interesting film, even just from a set design, costume design, like overall, even the way the shots were, there's a lot of close up kind of, um, there's not very many establishing shots. Uh, you know, I don't know if you noticed that in the no. film. Like, uh, it, that's maybe similar to Uncut Gems. If it, with a lot of close ups, you, you don't have the, the sort of bird's eye view that you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so it gives you this anxious feeling that you don't know what's behind you, you don't know what's next to you. But you, you it is like almost like a POV that's used over yeah. and over again. So you're in Doc's eyes a lot of the time, um, or it feels that way. And that's or, you, maybe or the camera is just following it, him. Maybe it's because that's the, the common point of view in a novel. In a novel, you're always in the, the, the protagonist's head. Mm, interesting. I think that's one of the things that novels... Uh, it's it's the classic problem with the adaptation. You know that movie adaptation? Yeah. And the difficulty of the novel is so deep in the psychology of the protagonist. And there's all these voiceovers that are normal in novel form. And they're supposed to be not done in movies, the voiceover. Hmm. That's one of the things hmm. in Blade Runner that when they released Blade Runner, it was too confusing for people and they added a voiceover. I see. And well, I, they think, try to, I yeah. think if you view uh, Blade Runner now, we have all this... Um, We've learned so much about sci-fi that the movie's very easy to follow. So they took yeah. took out the voiceover because, and now the director's cut and the final cut. And but the voiceover is when it's used in a movie, it's usually the sign of it not being a good screenplay and it not working, and they have to add it later. Well, that's funny because in this movie, the voiceover is almost there to confuse you further. At times, <laughs> I feel like it's a female um, voiceover, right? It's Joanna Newsom, who's a yeah. she's a very um, interesting like musician. I'm sure, like if you haven't heard her music, she has this very high pitched kind of cutesy voice, and she plays harp in her music. Um, uh, also, she, another but, funny random fact is that that woman who is the 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 receptionist of the doc doc's office. Oh, Maya, Maya Rudolph. Yeah, she's Thomas Paul Thomas Anderson's wife. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Now interesting. You know. Yeah, I couldn't figure out if that's actually also a real doctor's office <laughs> movie. <laughs> it seems like it is because there's people in the waiting room all the time. Yeah, but it, it it seems that back then, if you had a, similar now to the medical marijuana, but if you had a doctor's license and then you could prescribe oh. all kinds of fun things to people. So yeah, there, that makes there's more a scene sense. where he he has a client and they're sitting in the office and they have the laughing gas for the dentist. Yeah, and then in the movie, there's a dentist who is actually he created a rehab center so they sell the drugs and then uh, uh, the yeah, maybe we should talk go- about that <laughs> yeah. maybe we should talk about that so though you know a lot of the stuff that we're, we're pretending to be smart about is pretty obvious in the movie so um like one of the things uh is that there's this like threat of this uh this thing called golden the golden fang throughout the movie um that you know doc first receives a letter from the um the pussy eater woman what's her name um god like i love how it's like you're just making me say these things my skin but anyway she's like beware the golden fang um and so you you get various information like is the golden fang this this schooner that like is part of a drug cartel but then you later find out um that it's actually um martin short is like 
he's like an Austin Powers him. looking dentist. There's a, yeah, there's like a huge golden fang office tower and he goes and visits uh, the CEO who turns out to be Martin Short, who then says, no, actually, we're a dentist consortium. And then you realize that like the dentists are part of this like it's kind of racket where they um they sell drugs to rot people's teeth so that they come and get dental services and they make money selling the drugs and <laughs> selling them dental repair it's quite absurd and then they sell them rehab for the rich and then kids. they sell them rehab as well yeah <laughs> and meditation and, and, and martin short is just like having sex with everyone and having a blast he's like the he's kind of like the wall the wolf of wall street kind of character yeah but he's dressed he has, like austin powers he has piles of cocaine and he's super paranoid um, yeah, he's dressed like Austin Powers. <laughs> it, this movie does show. Like, I've experimented a tiny bit with drugs, but you see, when it becomes a habit, it's really hard to keep your life going because your priority. You're just so confused all the time. So it's very. I'm hard. not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is a realist take on taking drugs, but no. I, you but know, you like, see it a little bit where everybody's enjoying the drugs and living in the moment, but then it's really hard. You're like, wait, where was I going? Mm-hmm, what was mm-hmm. I doing? Well, we should mention, obviously, Doc is literally taking drugs in every single shot of the movie. He's either <laughs> smoking he's either smoking marijuana or he's snorting cocaine or he's taking laughing gas. Yeah, and there's so, a scene in the in the dentist office, in the big CEO office, and, and he's like, should we do a little? And, and then everybody just runs to the table, <laughs> to the pile. Should we do a little yeah. more? Yeah. Yeah, and you're kind of in on the joke after a while. And, like, and it's it, it, Doc is so subdued; his emotions are so subdued unless <laughs> there's some drugs available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's always like, "Huh? What? Oh, ah, I see." Like the, most of his dialogue is like, <laughs> "But what? Oh, ah." There's a funny anecdote. Uh, uh, Shouldn't we? It, there was a a show. We did a BYOB at the Mocha in LA, and it was curated by one of the Beastie Boys. And so he was giving a tour of the exhibition. I was there with a bunch of people. He's like, yeah, there's a friend of mine coming. Uh, he's a filmmaker. Maybe you know his films. And it was Spike Jones. So we're just we're walking around <laughs> with five people. And I'm talking to this other guy. And I'm like, oh, do you live here in L.A.? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're working on a movie. I'm like, oh, what movie? Yeah, it's kind of sci-fi, but kind of weird. Okay. And I was like, are you a producer? He's like, no, no, I'm an actor. Oh, what's your name? Uh, Joaquin. <laughs> so I was talking. He had. You're talking about. Yeah, and I didn't recognize it. He he was wearing glasses and a and a mustache from the, you know the look of the movie Her. They were shooting that yeah. movie. I had no idea. <laughs> but he was talking to me the whole time about the sex on poppers and. Uh, so, really. Yeah. So he's really perfect for this role. So. That's yeah. another reason Kristen didn't want to watch the movie. She really hates him now. But uh, he's done several movies where I think. Um, you know, there was what was the movie where he was in character even after the production of the movie, like the for one all the where press he's interviews. a rapper. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, exactly. For all the press interviews, he had to appear crazy and yeah. Anyway, he was on so David think, Letterman in character. I think he's become a bit of a cliche of the method actor <clears throat> in some manner because yeah. of that. And in this film, Kristen should like, pick the next movie we watch. Um. Yeah. Maybe she should. Well, I, I don't want to ruin your marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to make the next movie um, a really bad movie because um, yeah. I think we've been a little too um, too pretentious. Yeah, I don't know. Too pretentious. Yeah. But I think through watching a really bad movie, you might learn something about what <laughs> yeah a good movie really is. But anyway, um, one of the aesthetic things I thought you were going to bring up, you just mentioned Spike Jones, but I know that Paul Thomas Anderson was inspired by. 
some music videos. And when you watch this film, there's like a, the soundtrack is like almost like a Pink Floyd music video. Like it's, it rolls from one long soundtrack uh, piece to another, like one piece of music to the next. And it's, there's kind of this like beat um, yeah. and this yeah. rhythm to the whole film that's tied yeah. to the music. Um, specifically, I love the the first three or four sequences feel like one long kind of narrative music video where it's just like happening. It reminds me the comedian Mitch Hedberg had a set where he just had a, a sort of jazzy upright bass uh, yeah. player live the, the whole set. So it just goes to dun to dun to dun to dun and like the whole set and he's telling jokes. That's how this movie feels like this. Everyone else is an improv band, but there's this thumping bass throughout the whole film. I mean, I think it's the only way to get through two and a half hours. You know, you have to think of it as a bath. Like, you know, you're getting into it. You're not getting out of it. Uh. <laughs> I, I, I still think that the, the two and a half time I saw the movie, it really is a, a rounded story with a beginning and an end and a hero and all that stuff. It's, it's It seems it is, it's yeah. not that way, but then, so that's... But it's just yes. the way it's set up. Yeah, so but, they but, introduce you, you to know, like, like hundreds a, of characters. Like a you know? Holy Mountain, that movie by Jodorowsky or something like that, that was really about the hippie moment. Or It's mm-hmm. not about the hippie moment, but it was the hippie moment of, sort of psychedelic. Yeah. yeah, That's the type of movie where you're really not even trying to follow the story. But one yeah. of the things that they do in this film that you wouldn't be aware of on first watching cause is that you don't know what to pay attention to and what not mm. to. But by the second viewing, you do. because So in the first viewing, you're, they're like, there's like, oh, yeah, my friend Bonesy Jones and Diggly Dak. And we got to go yeah. to fin- Finister's house. And you're yeah. like, do I have to remember all these names? And yeah, the yeah. old man and Bigfoot did this thing. And you're everyone's like, facial expression is basically telling you that no one can remember <laughs> anything. Yeah, exactly. So you're like, what? How am I going to put all this together? And you're like... I heard someone talk about it. It's like you're gripping the steering wheel and it's like it's it's pouring rain outside and you're just trying to stay on the road. And what you have to do is let go of the wheel and just let the car drive, you know. But I, um, And I do have to say in these times that we are uh, too stressed to have challenging entertainment. I started treating movies like TV series and watch 30 minutes here and 30 minutes there. And it, it works quite well. I thought, oh, hmm. you know, movies should be seen in the movie theater from start to finish, etc. But... I've been enjoying, I, I subscribe to Criterion now. Oh, you did it. You made I did it. And I'm really yeah. doing it, 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 it. I have a list on my phone of movies I want to watch. And then you sit down and you're like, oh, let's look at Netflix. Because at least that's, I'm already paying for it. So I don't have to rent something for, for money. Mm-hmm. And then you What's, go to HBO and then you go to Prime. And Prime has a few good sort of cult movies. And then you're always watching something you didn't really want to watch. So you're watching like... Dirty Harry Part Two, not the first one. <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, and you watch, it, and if you, I don't know, it's it's the same with health food to me. It's like, it really tastes better, and if you get used to it, you really don't want the crap anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think like I like to uh, mix it up, but you know, the Tiger King is like kind of the thing everyone's watching right now on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started to watch it. And we I could was do like a review of that. The well, episode. the thing is, I couldn't I couldn't really watch more than the first 20 minutes. And I felt bad about it because it's like um, it's like this kind of social moment. And it's like, you know, why do we choose to watch what we watch? I think people are drawn to their you don't watch movies alone. You do watch them together. And I think that that's still what people desire. That's what yeah. people who make movies always talk about. That's why you want to see it in a theater is because we long to, you know, kind of 
get around the fire, like yeah, you know, the cin- yeah. you know, cinema is the fire, and tell stories together, right? The, 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 uh, the Tiger King is almost like a Werner Herzog film. Yeah, but you know what? Like Making a Murder, it's now like a formula on Netflix. Like, it's, speaking of algorithmic um, yeah. movie making, that's what they do, right? Like they, they it, do this as I, a I watched the whole thing, and it, it could definitely have been edited into a one-and-a-half-hour movie easily. Right, yeah. yeah. I suppose I should watch it just, but now I, I feel like I've I've passed the zenith of like the popular um, curve and. But in in a way, um, if you've seen the first episode, I don't think there's that much you've missed of the rest. Like it, it just continues. Mm. Like, should I tell you a secret about it? One thing I know. Okay. <laughs> so I was talking to someone, and it turns out Carol Baskin was a Fresh Books user. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> I was sleeping at that. Oh. <laughs> Dirty money. Yeah, I don't know more than that. That's all I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What What would you do if you find out that the Fresh Books clientele is a very well? The, the account is closed. It, it, she had okay. the account in the past, so yeah, I don't know yeah, yeah. much but, more. But than but what that, if Fresh Books is like huge in the alt right community? Yeah, I mean, there Shopify famously uh, had this problem where. Uh, the the Breitbart was hosted on Shopify and the employees were like, you know, yeah. protesting about it. Yeah. Um, and they wouldn't remove them. Anyway, anyway. where do we want to, <laughs> where do we want to, uh, where do we want to end up here? I think I, the, the film is, would you is recommend really, the I think, movie to people? You know what? So I have to recommend five hours of study. <laughs> if you're gonna, like if you're going to watch it, you have to watch it twice is my but, opinion. But, this is my opinion. Okay. But you studied, you studied experimental film. So you're used to very challenging viewing and non-narrative. Well, yeah. So compared to that, if you've seen a Matthew very, Barney, yeah, this is easy compared is to watching Matthew Barney. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but, if you've watched a four-hour Matthew Barney film or a Bjork music video, you can watch this for sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Um, the joke about the Bjork thing is just that she was married to Matthew Barney. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> long story short, is that I, I it's never bizarre. managed You're, to see that movie, the Von Trier movie with Bjork. It's too depressing. Yeah. Oh, Dancer in the Dark is incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Okay. I mean, Lars Von Trier is someone we should definitely cover on this uh, podcast just because yeah. he's so. But to keep our so listenership high, we should uh, do some nice, <laughs> nice bangers. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I was, so maybe we'll just tease what I was thinking for the next episode, which is there's like, <laughs> I was looking at uh, what's in theaters. Sonic, right? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a new movie, a new Sonic the Hedgehog movie. And the funny thing about this movie is that it actually, there's already, there were memes about it for a year before it was released. And so people hated it think, before it was released. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. So Jim I, Carrey I, is on his way out. And Jim Carrey is <laughs> in the movie. There's like so many things that are wrong. You know, when you think about like, Taking also, the, all the boxes. The game was what, never that. Like, it's not Mario. <laughs> well, Sega went bankrupt. You know, like yeah. so. Like, and it was re- anyway. There's like, there's so much about video game movies. This movie in particular. Um, we should also know. review the Emoji movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's De- Detective Pikachu as well. Like, there's a whole. S- <laughs> there's the original Mario Brothers movie. There's Mortal Kombat. There's so many. Like, I, I had um, a hesitation with the Sonic movie because it's not for rent yet, so you have to buy it, and it's twenty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> it, not for me personally, but you know that a lot of it's people. It's like more it's, than buying a Sonic video game. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, anyway. But uh, so we could either do that uh, or the. Did you see the emoji? What what was the name of that movie? Was it called the Emoji Movie? I did. Yeah, it was. I think it's considered one of the worst movies ever made. With T.J. Miller, yeah. 
when I was younger, I used to explicitly go to the movies to watch only bad movies just because I thought it was so much fun. It was hilarious to like, because you read the movie, you'd be like, you could spend the next hour just trashing it. And so maybe that's what we end up doing. But but maybe we find something. The the funny thing is what is considered a bad movie changes over time. So my dad was saying in the 70s, they would go see spaghetti westerns as like, a, a, a release and the thing you do you 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 could drink in the theater and just everyone talks during the movie and you're watching the good the bad and the ugly and everybody it's basically a party and now <laughs> now we look back at it and everybody's like oh this is a, the, the greatest expression of cinema and this is really etc et it's, it's taken very seriously so i don't know yeah. if that will happen to the sonic movie but well, you know, maybe we have a small part in making the Sonic movie a great success. Yeah. <laughs> but so one of our listeners suggested that we would uh, announce the next movie so you can watch it and then next week we'll talk about it. So hereby we officially announce that next week we review the Sonic movie. We can't, we can't go back on it. But yeah. I guess we could always do a thing like, well, we watched it. It was so bad. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's do it. We spend an let's hour talking about it. Okay, yeah, and that's, uh, I guess that's for, uh, do you want to mention her name? Because she actually begged me as well to mention the movie before the, but it's a friend of, um, a friend of Christina's, of, of Christina's yeah, Lisa, yeah, but, uh, Lisa, she lives in Stockholm. So, shout out, shout out to you, Lisa, yeah. a fan of the podcast. She said something very nice. She's like, I just want to be able to listen to it right away. I need to know what it is before. So <laughs> yeah. you've got a week to watch. <laughs> it's almost like, fuck you, Lisa. You have to watch something. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway, I, we're sorry that it's bad. We have no idea. This is the problem. If we tell you ahead of time, yeah, but, we don't know but, if it's going to be good or bad. But we can do a cadence of uh, potential. It has movies 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. It has like 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. So uh, how bad could it be? We, one day we can review. Have you, did you see 10,000 BC? <laughs> no, but I've heard that is actually the that worst. That is actually the worst movie I can remember. So You know what I'd like to go back is to the 1990s bad movies. Like, I want to rewatch Encino Man. Do you remember that Oh, movie? that's Christina's favorite movie. <laughs> it's classic. She loves Anything by with Brendan Fraser. Like I remember had, <laughs> always him being... The like, mummy? Yeah, but there was always a cardboard cutout of him in the video store with the new... He's like the Adam Sandler of the 90s. Yeah, and like a Hawaiian shirt and I don't know if if he will have a sort of indie highbrow revival the same way Adam Sandler has. Yeah, he's like his. He was a. He was. I mean, he was probably in a thousand movies. He's gonna none. He's gonna be like a refugee (laughs) in a movie or something like that. But apparently, he's hard. He's actually had a really hard time (laughs) since. Like, there's a few interviews (laughs) with him where he's like, he's he's really. (laughs) I'm laughing at this. I feel terrible for you. He like really felt like the world turned their backs on him, and he's yeah, like he's very I think sad. There was also a reality show about Jean Claude Van Damme. He's not doing so well. But I mean, like, is it his fault? He's again, like, if he was in the middle of it, and everyone's like, "We love you, we need you, Brandon, Brandon, smile <laughs> for the camera," and then the next day they're like, "You're such a joke." It's really cruel that that would that that occurs, you know. Yeah, let's think about it. But he probably should have saved his money and, like, you know, had a, a graceful exit, become a novelist or something. <laughs> There's an example of watching a movie because c- it was on HBO. <laughs> I, I subscribed to HBO for Kirby Enthusiasms for a few months. And then I'm looking at the movie list, and then there's a movie called Cyborg with Jean Claude Van Damme. Mm-hmm. And I watched it. It's really one of the worst movies ever. And <laughs> it, it, they, had sh- they had written a movie, but there were copyright issues, and they, they had the budget, so they had to write a movie in three days <laughs> and shot it. <laughs> the budget was about 400000 And at some point in a fight scene, Jean Claude Van Damme hurt someone's eyeball and 
he sued him for half a million, so they even lost oh, money. No, no. But but the movie was shot, and it, a lot of the fighting and this, the violence was too explicit, so they had to cut that out. So the movie doesn't make any sense when you're watching it. They're like fighting someone, and the next cut, the person is gone, and the <laughs> plot has no continuity. <laughs> no. So if if you come across it, uh, that's fun. Oh, well, yeah, I thought yeah. We, we we should have ended up talking about, but neither of us takes drugs. Is like if the movie's really bad, you know, the old thing to do is take mushrooms or yeah. smoke a joint while you watch the film. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what th- that's probably what we should have done with this movie. Um, so that suggested viewing, but <laughs> maybe maybe this movie is also a, a sort of the 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 bifurcation that between intuition and rational thinking, and so. Mm-hmm. In this movie, the the intuition turns out to be the way to go, and uh, yeah, that's everyone right. who's trying to approach things straightforward ends up being confused. And so, if you just go with it and go with the vibes and the energy, then it's in a similar way to Star Wars. No, I think that's a great summary. Similar way to, I don't know if that's in a similar way to Star Wars. Well, the think... Star Wars is all about listening to the Force. So, oh, I see what you're saying. So the yeah. the meditative qualities of the film are. You know, don't try and control it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Try it. It's more like a wave. You got to surf it. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe that's a, why it's it's a good movie for this moment. Yeah, it's very much on brand for you, Raphael. Now <laughs> I think about it, the drugs are not, but the, um, yeah, yeah, the meditative qualities of it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. thank you for listening, and then uh, next week, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> 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 we're gonna have to look up a lot of details yeah yeah i go, gotta go get go my checkbook out to write a check to the <laughs> sega corporation was it 20 bucks to watch it okay. yeah yeah it's not for rent you have to buy it so it'll be in your movie collection forever well maybe you know maybe the gift is we're gonna watch it for you, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know. yeah and anyway, i'm probably it's probably amazing yeah <laughs> okay. okay folks bye-bye thanks for listening take care bye Don't get up. Bigfoot and he smashed on my door. Come on. After a long and busy day of civil rights violations, I found myself in the neighborhood and compelled to drop in. Just to check and see the current state of affairs at my old stomping grounds. Seeing as your effort to keep lines of communication have been limited, to say the least. Well, I've been busy. Trying to figure out which side of the zigzag paper is the sticky sign. Give it to me. Listen, I'm sorry sorry about last night. You? Why Why should you be sorry? Weird.